Everybody grab your Bible, turn to Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 33 this morning. Jacob. kept getting ripped off by his father-in-law, his uncle, and God saw it and God showed Jacob what to do and, 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 and basically the way that the agreement was is a certain type of offspring would be counted as Jacob's portion, that's what he would get for taking care of Laban's herds and, and so all of, the, all of the offspring kept falling out as payment for Jacob and and so Laban kept changing the wages. He kept changing, here's the type of of animal that's born that will be your payment and 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 the offspring just kept matching the terms so that Jacob would get paid. And and so there's a you know tip for employers. Uh, if you're stingy with your employees, God sees that and and that's gonna fall back in terms of the blessing on your own business. Is it gonna be is it gonna be a good blessing or are you gonna keep coming up short and you don't know why? And, and so long story short, everybody's looking at Jacob like he's some kind of thief. Well, you know, uh, the payment's fallen out according to what God ordained and, and so Jacob recognizes it's time to quit and move on and, and, uh, and what this means though is he's gotta leave a thief and face a, a, a potential murderer, right? His brother Esau Last word on Esau is Esau wanted to kill him after Isaac died and, and so he's on his way back and, and he's on his way back according to the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 31 verse three, God said, verse three says, and the Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I will be with thee. What's the promise? Return to the land of your fathers so you can be murdered by your older brother. No, I'm with you. God says, I've got you, and he proves it. I mean, angels meet him in the way. God himself wrestles with him to show him that he's with him. It's a, you, you gotta go back and get the notes on that, but here's the, here's the sum of it. God changed his name after that wrestling match. Called him Israel, right? He's a, he's a prince with God. Thou, right, for as a prince hast thou power with God and man. Uh, hey, you, you're somebody to me, You're, I've got plans for you. Okay, so here it is, we're in Genesis 33, we're gonna have this meeting. Father, help us to gain insight and wisdom. Lord, we wanna see the pictures, we wanna see the truths from Genesis chapter 33. And again, we don't wanna see them in some intellectual way only. We don't wanna just know facts about your word. Lord, we want your word to quicken us, uh, to give us life. We want it to guide us and direct us. Let it be a light to guide our way. We, we wanna grow, we wanna get ahead in terms of the learning curve spiritually. And so Lord, help us to, to look at these in samples and, and then Lord, apply them to our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis 33, verses one through 16, we're gonna title this section, Jacob's brother. Brother's your first blank. So verse one says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau came and with him 400 men. I mean, just think of uh, like the big scene in a Western movie, okay, or, or, or you know, army on horseback, okay, that's what this looks like. And so they're riding, right, the sun's behind them, the heat waves are shimmering up, the dust is rolling out behind, I mean, it, it, it's intimidating. 
And so, so what's Jacob's response? Well, it's one of caution because potentially Jacob is seeing a man ready for a fight. Again, remember the last words Jacob had on Esau's intent. We saw that in Genesis 27 verse 41. The Bible says, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. Uh, that blessing was supposed to go to Esau. Isaac knew better. He knew what God had said, but, but he, you know, he had, I don't know what he had. He had heartburn or something. Anyway, he thought he was done. And so he wants to pass on the blessing. And, and so, boy, get out there, kill, some, kill a deer, make me some chili, some venison stew, and, and I want to bless you. And, and so mom hears about it, and, and so she conspires with Jacob to steal that Abrahamic blessing. Uh, you remember before that, Jacob had over a bowl of chili, <laughs> over a bowl of lentils, uh, stolen the, the, the birthright from his brother. Well, he didn't steal it, he bought it for a bowl of chili and we talked about all of the, 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 the data and the details on that uh, when we looked at that story. So there's a grudge, right? Potentially this grudge is still there in Esau's heart. And so Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother. And then in 2742, the Bible says, in the words of Esau, her elder son were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth, com doth comfort himself. Right? He is comforting himself. How? Purposing to kill thee. Okay, so she, you know, she makes sure he gets sent to Laban's house um, as, as a way of escape. But again, the promise now. So e Esau is coming at him with 400 men. It's an army. And don't forget that promise from the Lord in Genesis 31, verse three. Go back to the land of your fathers, and then what does God say? I will be with thee, right? God, uh, God is with him. Uh, in, uh, in, in chapter 32, he gets named Israel. Why? For as a prince thou hast power with God and man. God has confirmed this over and over in Jacob's heart. He has the word of the Lord on this. He's gonna survive this encounter. But, you know, how many have been in those situations where you know what the Bible says, but when you're faced with the reality of your circumstances, you're tempted to doubt that they actually, those promises actually apply to you. Okay, so Jacob is gonna get a lesson in faith even here in Genesis 33. You know, when he sees these 400 men, potentially it's like he's lost everything that he gained in this wrestling match with God last night. And so what does he do? Verse one says he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. Verse two, and he put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and jo Joseph hindermost. So, you know, you can see the order of honor and importance in Jacob's family. I'm sure that's gonna fall out to family peace and harmony uh, as we move forward in Genesis, it doesn't. Uh, Rachel and Joseph get the place of greatest security and safety. I mean, if it all hits the fan, right? They have the best chance at getting away. And so that's not gonna help the family dynamic. You know, this, this Rachel-Joseph favoritism, the rest of his family's not stupid. They see it, they see what's in dad's heart and it engenders bitterness. Mom, dad, be wise, okay? Don't have a favorite child. You're gonna sow death in your family. You say, I can't help it. One's awesome, the other's a jerk. Well, okay, <laughs> hide that in your heart, okay? Be careful with that information. Uh, find ways to communicate how each child is your favorite, right? 
Um, I have one daughter and two sons. I can say to Sophie, you are my favorite daughter. You're absolutely my favorite daughter. I can say to one son, you're my favorite oldest son. Uh, man, you're my favorite youngest son. Okay, I mean, there's like, there's, 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 there's hacks that you can employ and uh, maybe, maybe you don't have to be so, so transparent what you're trying to do. Maybe you can just tell all your kids why you appreciate them and why they mean so much to you. Uh, but don't, man, don't have a favorite. Don't, don't, don't make, it, make a friend of one child and an enemy of the others. Uh, that's, that's sowing death into your family. Okay, verse three, let's look at Jacob's courage. Army, a man, I mean, he's, he's got employees and herds, okay? And he's facing a man with a 400-man army. <laughs> what does he do? Well, he's willing to face danger, any danger head on. Look at what he does. Verse three says, and he passed over before them. He gets between potential danger and his family. And the Bible's very clear on this. A man has a responsibility to protect and to provide for his family. First Timothy 5, verse eight says, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Uh, you, 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 dad, you gotta do the math. Husbands, you gotta do the math on this thing. Uh, uh, most men who are, you know, remotely red-blooded, they've had those scenarios that they've worked through in their mind where danger comes. You know, they'll work through some scenario, danger comes, and they, and they, they kind of do the, they, they work through it, they, they do the math in their own head, and they, and they think about how they'll throw themselves uh, in the way of the oncoming bus to push their family out of the way as they get crushed by the engine of destruction that is, you know, local transportation, and, and uh, and so they, they work all that, yeah, I'd do that, you know, uh, a gunman, a muck, you know, I'll shield my wife with my body, and okay, so man, praise the Lord for that. Uh, that is your job, uh, to get between your family and danger, but then also, I mean, check out Ephesians 5, husbands. You have a responsibility to daily lay down your life providing for your wife, amen, Braden? <laughs> amen, yeah. Uh, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, and then dads, what do you do, right? Uh, you got dads that are provoking their children to wrath when you're supposed to lay down your life, training them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What do you want? You want your kid to grow up to be some bitter rage monster? Or do you want him to be a mighty man, a mighty woman of faith? You have to provide that. That's your responsibility as a parent. So, you know, Joseph's willing to face it. You know, today this, this need is seen on multiple fronts. I mean, our society is working, right? It's working to put Sodom and Gomorrah to shame. I don't know if you've noticed it, uh, but, but where we're at in terms of humanity on a headlong rush to destruction before the end times are complete, uh, humanity is trying to, to, to make Sodom and Gomorrah look like amateur hour, and they want your kids. This lost world wants your children. They want their mind, they want their heart. They absolutely want the trajectory of their life. And so do not, I mean, do not check out, Dad. Be aware of the dangers. Check what's coming after your kids. Pass over before them on YouTube and at school, right? Pass over before them. Make sure that they have a way of escape. 
their, their, their ability to follow after the Lord as your children, that's your responsibility. And so don't check out on that need that they have. Provide for them. All right, let's keep going in verse three. We see contrition. Jacob is willing to humble himself. He gets face down before this brother that he's offended. He passed over before his family. He passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Uh, This is not him, you know, being a whipped dog. This is not him being a chicken. In those days, this is how bowing seven times before a mighty man, this is how respect was shown to an actual king. He does this, he makes reverence, okay? He bows seven times before his brother. So he's not cowering, he's showing reverence and respect. He's approaching his brother correctly. And so this is a key. If you want reconciliation in a ruptured relationship, then approach reconciliation with humility. This is what happens, you know, people get sideways with one another and so the the approach to reconciliation is, is let's talk about how you're wrong and how you need to get right. We need to be reconciled. And, and, and so, you know, uh, your mom or your dad or your grandma, somebody told you it takes two to tango, okay? It, it, it took two people to rupture that relationship. Follow Joseph's or J- Jacob's example. He owns his part. Okay, let's look at how he does this. He approaches first with humility. Proverbs 22, verse four says, by humility and fear, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Chapter 29 and verse 23 says, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So that's the first approach. You got somebody that the relationship's ruptured. Don't approach them to beat them into shape, right? Just take a, take a big dose of humility and approach them with respect. Now don't miss the picture, okay? Jacob is approaching Esau like a king. Well, isn't that how you came to the king? You didn't go, I mean, to get eternal life and salvation, you didn't just go busting into the third heaven and say, give me eternal life. I'm awesome and I need it, I own it, I deserve it, I've I've earned it. You didn't do that, did you? Nobody in this room got saved that way. Nobody was born again demanding from God what was due you. What had to happen? You had to bow yourself, didn't you? You had to get humble before the Lord. I mean, at some point, you recognized that your sin had ruptured the relationship with your creator. It greatly offended God. And so you also recognized that God wanted reconciliation. Jesus at Calvary was proof of that. But what you had to do was in repentance and humility, you came to God. You got low, you, got hum- you humbled yourself and you called on God for mercy and forgiveness and grace and salvation, didn't you? Isn't that, isn't that what you did? I mean, if you got what you deserved in getting eternal life, I would beg you, double check. <laughs> double check, make sure your salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, we're saved by God's grace through faith. It is the gift of God, you did not earn it. Nobody gets to say, I have salvation because, well, I'm me. I mean, check me out. No, no but nobody is in that camp. And so don't miss the salvation picture here. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Man, I want to live there, don't you? Look at who God hangs with. 
I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. So verse four, let's title this compassion. Compassion. Jacob was willing to reconcile, but man, praise the Lord, so was Esau. Verse four, and Esau ran to meet him. So your brother's running at you. Is he drawing his sword? (laughs) You know, he's running at Jacob. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. I guarantee you there are people in this room that you need to take verse four to heart and you need to do exactly that. There's somebody that you need to go to and just hug, kiss their cheek, (laughs) right? Um, You know, he fell on his neck and kissed him. Did he kiss him on the neck? Uh, You know, two people are embracing, the neck is what's showing. Have you ever noticed that when you're, when you're hugging someone, you're face to face, right? You're head to head and so the neck's there. Did he kiss him on the neck? I would just counsel you, don't do that. You don't want anybody to think you're necking with them but, but, but maybe, maybe you, maybe you kiss the side of their head. I don't know um, but I bet there's people here that you just need to grab somebody and weep because you know it was wrong. You know it was messed up. Sometimes we're just get, I mean words can just get in the way, can't they? You, you want to explain things, you want to justify things, you want to make sure people understand your perspective and just let them see that you want what was wrong to be right. I need you in my life, I don't want to lose you. Sometimes you just need to go to a person that you're estranged from and give up. That's what we need to do. Maybe you have somebody in your life that you need to just come to with weeping over your sin against them and communicate to them that you want them in your life. Be reconciled. So here's the key. Don't miss what's happened. Last time that, 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 jo- that, that Jacob heard about Esau, what did he hear? Your brother is comforting himself. This is how he is dealing with the fact that you took the Abrahamic blessing. He's gonna kill you. And that is his precious, you know? That's his, that's his precious. I mean, he's got that in his heart. I mean, yes, he's going to kill Jacob, you know? I mean, like, that's, where, that's the last he heard, and... And, and, and now here's Esau weeping, embracing him, so glad that he's back and back in his life. And so this is the key, we, we hinted at this last time. Don't give up on people. Don't throw anyone away, why? Because that jerk that, that, that you were at war with yesterday, God's at work in their life. God's growing them, God's maturing them. We're all growing in Christ, so don't give up on Jesus and the work that he's doing in his people. So don't give up on the brother or sister on how Christ is working in them. They are growing, they're learning, they're moving forward, hopefully just like you are. That's what God promised. Faith says, Romans chapter eight, verses 28 and 29, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he did also pre, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Everybody that, that is now in Christ, everybody that's born again, they're in the family of God, God's at work to mature them, to perfect them, to complete them, to bring them to the place where they now think like, act like, speak like, walk like Jesus, to conform them to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that person that was a jerk, just a total self-centered jerk, you know, five, six, seven years ago, 
Well, today, they're all about laying down their life for the brethren, and, and, and you still got them back you know, in, in spiritual toddlership or something, you know, a, a selfish me monster. That's not the case. God's at work in their life, just like you. You know, you're, you know how you were. You know what a hot mess you were back, you know, two weeks ago, th- you know, two years ago. <laughs> and how God's bringing you through and how he's maturing you and how he's growing you. Man, he's doing that for everyone. The person that was your enemy yesterday, they've grown up and they're ready to lay their lives down for you today. Don't write anybody off. You're gonna rip yourself off. Does that make sense? It's like, um, I don't know, the best tactical advice I can give someone. You may hate black licorice, okay? Uh, Because it tastes terrible. Well, you were three when you tried it, okay? I just wanna encourage you, give black licorice a try again. (laughs) Because as you grow and as you mature, what was nasty 15 years ago is like crack today. (laughs) And you can't just eat one, okay? I mean, that's just how it is. Now, I will say, I will say blue cheese is wrong. (laughs) And uh, you hated it when you were a kid, and if you like it as an adult, it's because you're nasty. Okay, so anyway, (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend anybody. It's just, I gotta preach truth. Okay, so, verse five. Blue cheese smells like dirty feet or something. I'm not gonna eat something that smells like refuse. Just not gonna do it, okay? Uh, yes, you can put chitlins in the exact same category as blue cheese. I will eat a gizzard, but I will not eat a chitlin. No way, that's not gonna happen. Okay. You know, things that smell like poop, they smell like poo for a reason. <laughs> so you won't stick them in your mouth. Okay, let's get back on track. Verse five. Now Esau is curious, look at verse five, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, whose are those with thee? And look at Jacob's response, the children which God hath graciously given thy servants. Again, look at the humility, but also look at the willingness to give praise to whom it is due. Uh, This is what God gave me. This is what God gave your servant. Psalms 127 verse three says, lo, children are the are heritage of the Lord. And I don't care you know, if you had a tough time conceiving and you did all of the, all of the, the tips and tricks and, and, the, and the methods and the mechanisms in order to get pregnant, the fact that you had that child, that was a gift from the Lord. They're the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the, the womb is his reward. You can't have a baby until God says it's time. Listen to this, Isaiah 63, seven says, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. Do you hear that? Do you hear the responsibility of Israel? I'm gonna talk about how good God is. Follow that example. How are you gonna be depressed? You know, one thing, this is how we're wired in the flesh. One thing goes wrong and everything, I mean, just life is terrible and we get depressed and we're miserable, okay? Why? Because this thing went wrong and we're upset about it. Uh, I don't know why we're wired this way. That's just how the flesh operates. A thousand things can be going right, but one thing goes wrong and we're having a bad day, okay? 
This is why, you know, we, we teach people through song, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. Bro, sis, look at all these other things. Look at all the things that God has done, right? Count your many blessings. God is good to you. You have a responsibility to recount that, and in recounting his goodnesses, his many, I mean, how it's put in Isaiah, his many, the, the loving kindnesses of the Lord, that's gonna yank you right out of the fog of depression. Why, because now you're reckoning right. Yeah, this one thing went wrong, but look at how rich I am, look at how blessed I am. I uh, got, as a, young, as a young man, I got a, a, a virus called, it's a, it's a form of mono called Epstein-Barr. And uh, back, back in the late 80s, they, they were calling it killer mono for a while. I think a few people out on the West Coast had died from it and, and uh, there was a little bit of a scare and, and I was bummed because I didn't get to kiss any girl to get it. I just somehow I had this virus and, and uh, that's just where I was at as a young, as a young man. So anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm working at uh, UPS loading trucks and, and I'm going to school full time and, and you know, I'm working out, I feel lethargic, I feel bad and, and I think, well, I just need to work out more and, and, and try to get more rest and, and I just kept losing weight and I couldn't stay awake and, and I'd, have to, I'd have to like walk around in circles to study and, and when I'm driving in the winter, I had to keep the windows, you know, it's just like it was tough to stay awake and finally my mom's like, uh, I think you're dying. <laughs> you're losing way too much. I'm, I think I'm watching you die. We, we need to get you to the doctor and so they got the right medicine and, and they got the, the virus beat back. And uh, I come from my follow-up and my doctor says, um, you know, it looks like everything's going good. Here, I'm gonna write this prescription. Uh, you're, you're, gonna be, you're, you're gonna need to be on antidepressants for the rest of your life. And I said, well, why? And he says, well, you will, we don't understand it, but with Epstein-Barr, uh, for people during their young adult years, they wrestle with chronic depression. When you're an old man, stereotypically, people grow out of it. You'll be, you'll be fine when you're an old man. But for the rest of your adult productive life, you're gonna have to be on these antidepressants. Well, I told him he could keep it. I, back then, I think it was Prozac or something. I said, you keep that, because I was already mad at him. He, he was wanting to know how often I was having intercourse. And I'm like, well, never, I'm, I'm waiting until I get married. And he's like, don't lie to me, I'm your doctor. You're a college kid. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a born, I gave him the gospel. I'm a born again Christian. Explained all that to him. And he's like, he got mad at me, yelled at me. So I'm like ready to punch this guy anyway, you know, <laughs> show, him, show him the love of Jesus. Um, but uh, again, that's where I was at as a young man. So, um, you know, I'm like, what in the world? And, and so I just, you can, you can eat that prescription. I think we're done. You're not my doctor anymore. And I, I just, I left. And uh, fast forward just a few years, three or four years. And I'm like, all I want to do is sleep and I feel like I'm just a miserable failure. And like, no matter what I'm gonna do, my life is gonna amount to a whole bunch of big nothing. And I couldn't figure it out. Like, all I wanted to do was sleep. All of a sudden it hits me one day. I'm like full on depressed. Why am I depressed? I don't know, I just feel like a big sack of nothing. <laughs> and my life is gonna come to nothing. And I'm not good at anything. 
I'm not, I'm nothing. I'm no, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. That jerk in that doctor's office told me this was gonna happen. And I'm, I'm sitting here sucking my thumb over what? A few things went wrong and now I'm in the middle of misery and depression. You know, anybody remember Hee Haw from the old days? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Oh, that was weak. Oh, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Oh, yeah, okay. So there I am, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, I told that doctor to take his prescription and, and you know, do something with it. What, oh, yeah. My Father in heaven loves me so much. I was worth giving everything up in order for him to redeem me from my sin and make me part of his family. He, acts, he actually put me in the family business. I get to be a part of something that matters for eternity. Oh, and then look at the woman that God gave me. Man, she's smart, she's good looking, she's a good kisser. She's, she's, she's gonna be a great mother to my children. I mean, boom, chicka, boom, boom. I hit the jackpot. I mean, and I'm just like, before I know it, I'm, I'm on like 50 things, just counting all of the loving kindnesses that God has given me, that God has expressed toward my life. And I'm upset over two or, little, two or three little things that aren't going my way, and I've got this cloud of darkness and depression for what? I'm like the most blessed person on planet Earth. I don't have a reason to be. Man, you can learn how to reckon right. Did you know that? You can learn how to reckon God's word reality in your life and then live according to that. I mean, at some point, you gotta decide God's word is truth. The devil is a liar. Your feelings will lie to you. Don't get trapped, right? Satan has many devices that he employs to try to take you out. Don't fall for it. Count them, mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord. Do that and watch God take your heart from a self-centered, demonic, selfish focus to one of praise, one of giving glory to God that's due him. Okay, verse six, then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. You wanna teach your kids to respect their elders. Uh, that's just right. Uh, it, it's something that gets on God's radar. If your kids are treating adults uh, without respect. God sees that, God notices that. I'll just tell you a little story. In 2 Kings chapter two, the man of God is going up to Bethel. Uh, we'll see that this is where Jacob needs to be in Bethel. But the man of God's going to Bethel and, and he's going up by the way. Little children came out of the city in 2 Kings two and they mark, mocked him and said unto him, go up thou bald head, go up thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And it took, okay? So does Elisha have the capacity to, is, is, he, is he the bear master, right? Does he have some elemental power over animals that he can command? No, he cursed them in the name of the Lord and there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear 40 and two children of them. Mess with the prophet, get the claws. I don't know what else to tell you. God, uh, God saw, I mean, God, teach your kids to respect their elders. It's right. 
and it gets God's attention. Okay, verse seven, Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves, and after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves, and he said, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? What about all these herds? Jacob's reply, he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that that, keep that, that thou hast to thyself. And Jacob said, nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore have I seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Bro, you don't understand, God made me rich while I was away, and this rich blessing, I want you to have it. I want it to be the token of our reconciliation. And he urged him, and he took it. So at the end of the day, Esau's a gracious receiver. <laughs> now gifts could be refused. You know, in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, you remember that? He refused the offer from King Sodom. Uh, you, you, you have that capacity. But at the same time, this is a sealing of the fact of the reconciliation. Yes, I will receive this at your hand. It's a token that I've received you. Verse 12, and he said, let us take our journey and let us go and I will go before thee. Esau says, it's good to have you back, bro. Let's go on together in life. Now watch this, pay real close attention. Verse 13, and he said unto him, my Lord knoweth that the children are tender and the flocks and herds are young, with young or with me. And if the men should overdrive them, one day all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before this servant, his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure, until I come unto my Lord, unto Seir. Um, you know, eventually I will get to you, is what he's saying. Eventually I'll, I'll come visit, is what he's saying. Verse 15, and Esau said, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, what needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. Um, yeah, no, I don't need your personal guard. Uh, God is with me. I don't need it. It's okay. I'll come visit you. <laughs> That's what Jacob is saying. So again, one of the motivations for this is, you know, yes, he's been received. Is there any theater in it? Right? There's still potentially a, a, an issue of fear that he's dealing with. Notice he's calling Esau my Lord in verse 8, 13, 14, and 15. Is that out of fear or is it out of true reverence? Um, I, I'm praying that, that what this is is Jacob in his maturity, as his faith is growing, he's treating Esau with utmost respect. Again, he, you know, Esau's got 400 soldiers and so the potential in terms of doubt is that he just lost everything that he gained last night in his wrestlings with the Lord. You know, Esau's here with 400 men. He could wipe him out. But God had appeased Esau just as he had quietened Laban. You know, when, when Jacob basically did the quiet quitting, he just up and left. Laban will figure it out. Laban tracks him down and, and before he catches him after the after the pursuit, God meets him the night before and says, you don't speak anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God quieted, quieted him, settled him down so that he didn't come at Jacob rough. And, and you know, Laban took the rebuke and, and, and Jacob was spared. Well, God appeased Esau. Why, because the Lord is with Jacob. Brothers and sisters, it's good for us to just come to the place where we simply trust in the Lord to go before us. 
Jacob is on his way back to meet his brother. The angels meet him in the way. God's saying, I'm with you, bro, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's great that you're with me, but, but Esau is a mighty hunter, right? He's like Nimrod of old. He's like a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, it's a little scary what my brother's capable of. He's wrestling with the Lord all night. You've prevailed with both God and men. I mean, you're, you're a new man, Jacob. Your name's Israel now. Man, to come to the place where we just trust the Lord. But this is a day of reconciliation, and so to make sure that we get it, notice the key points that made reconciliation possible. In verses one through four, Jacob approaches with humility. He's soft in his approach. In verses five through seven, he just opens up with his brother. He shares all about his life with his brother. He, he's an open book now. He's not, he's not guarding himself. He's not, he's not hiding what God has done in his life. He's open about it. And then verses eight through seven, he's willing to make restitution. You're not serious about reconciliation unless you're willing to make a wrong right. You want to reconcile with someone and you've basically ripped them off in the past. The right response isn't let bygones be bygones. No, how can I make that wrong right with you? He's willing to make restitution so that reconciliation can take place. And then verses 12 through 16, Esau responded, right? In other words, there has to be, the other party has to be willing to humble themselves and reconcile with you. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. In Romans 14, 19, the Bible tells us to follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. So in verses 13 through 16, now that Esau is says, you know, he's, he's okay, uh, we're good, we're reconciled, Jacob was only too anxious for them to separate again. I want you to look at this map. Esau returns to Seir. Go ahead and bring the map up, guys. Can you go down one? Are we missing a map slide? There we go, okay, so this is the route that Jacob takes um, back you know, as he gets around, we're gonna see it takes him a while to actually obey Genesis 31.3. Um, Seir is, is down, you see, you see the, the Mediterranean Sea, actually let me just flip around here. Okay, so over here is the Mediterranean Sea, and then up here, uh, this uh, little town that's named uh, Aco. Uh, if you keep going east, there's the Sea of Galilee, and you come on down and you see the Dead Sea. Um, uh, this Mount Seir and the, is, this area of Edom is down here toward the, the bottom of our map, okay? So, so, so you know, um, Jacob is supposed to be over in Bethel. It's not too far from, from Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that. It takes him a while to get there. Uh, and so there's a great deal of distance now between him and, and his brother. Uh, the... Um, the um, area, I thought it was interesting, and I think I put this in your notes. It's, uh, it's kind of scrubland, and it has, a, it has enough snow melt off, it gets just enough water to support scrub brush that gives the land a hairy appearance, which is kind of interesting. So Edom has this kind of hairy look, which is kind of like the guy that first dwelt there, Esau, remember he was red and hairy all over, and the land kind of looks a little red and a little hairy all over, so that, that's interesting. Okay, but they part ways, and Jacob makes sure of that. 
All right, now in the last few verses, we're gonna title this section, Jacob's Backsliding. He doesn't have full obedience. Verse 17 says, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built him an house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. Sukkoth is based on the word that we would translate as booths, right? These booths for cattle. So instead of going with Esau, Jacob builds a house named for the sheds that shelter the cattle like he's no longer a pilgrim and he's at his final destination. So again, bring up the map again. He's supposed to be at Bethel, okay? But he stops, he stays north, right? He stays in this place of Shechem. Uh, He hasn't got back to the place of Bethel just yet. So this this is kind of a critical concept. This is so many Christians fall for this and they end up making the same mistake Uh, You you don't want to allow a pursuit of a life of this world function as an interruption to following, right? Fulfilling and following the word of God. uh, What God has called you to according to his word. You don't want to let that. Well, you know, man, we've got to take care of businesses at home, right? Well, that's true, you do. But you don't want to let that keep you from doing what God's called you to. So many people, the Apostle Paul warns us about this in 1 Corinthians 7. It's easy to be overcome and encumbered in the affairs of this world. We need to act like, we need to live like, the only thing that matters is what God calls us to do. And so here Jacob gets held up, making sure that his herds are thriving. He forgot that he's a sojourner, that he's supposed to follow God in the land. He forgot how his grandfather lived. Hebrews chapter 11 verse nine says, by faith he, Abraham, sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. He knew in the promised land he was a stranger and a pilgrim. This world's not his home. He's here to do the work that God called him to for the time that God has him there. Then verse 18, this is the, Actually, verse 17, this is the first mention of a patriarch having a house. And so another principle from that, uh, pilgrimage, functioning as a pilgrim, uh, the way we would describe it in the New Testament is functioning as ambassadors for Christ, is only possible as you keep your eyes on the promises. Uh, Again, we're gonna see this. Genesis 31.3, that's the command. And he's yet to fulfill it. So verse 18, Jacob comes to Shalem a city of Shechem. So Shechem is a region. So here's Shalem, a city in this region, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city, and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So there it is again. Okay, it's interesting this area where he has these booths, there is, if you just back up and get a, get like a 100,000 foot millennial perspective on what's happening here, there's an incredible picture in this, okay? Uh, This is a picture of the time when Israel will dwell safely in the land during the millennial reign of Christ. And it's interesting, whenever you see Jacob, who is called Israel, he has no altar from the time he leaves Bethel till the time he returns to this place of booths. It's just interesting, right? No altar in between times, and so also Israel, 
right? Here he is in Shalem, that's an old world for Jerusalem, and Israel's descendants have had no altar, no place of sacrifice from AD 70 until 1967. And they still don't have sacrifice there, it is interesting, they just ship some red heifers to Israel, and if they continue to be certified as pure, they will have what they need to spread the ashes of the red heifer to purify the Temple Mount and be able to start conducting sacrifice there. So it's interesting, you know, there's no place for sacrifice until Israel is secure in Jerusalem. I think that's an interesting picture, uh, so don't miss that. No altar while they're away, uh, while Jacob is away for those 20 years. Well, so also with Israel. Uh, point number two, instead of going all the way home, he settled down in this area of Sukkoth. Uh, Shechem is in the pass between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. It's about 20, not 20 miles north of, of Bethel. He's got 20 miles, I mean, he comes all this way. He comes roughly 500 miles and falls 20 miles short of going back to the place that God told him to. You know, God promised to be with him. Shalem means full, complete, safe. It means peaceful, right? It's related to the word shalom, peace. Uh, this is related to the word, the, the word Jerusalem, okay? El Elohi Israel, uh, he makes this altar and he calls it God, the God of Israel. That's what he does. Okay, I'm in Shechem. God, 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 God the God of Israel. And then he does worship. But in doing this, his, uh, his obedience is incomplete. Jacob was supposed to return to Bethel uh, in Genesis 31, verse 13, I am the God of Bethel. Right, so what did he tell him in verse three? The Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Okay, I'm gonna be with you, who am I? Verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowedest a vow unto me, now arise and get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. God meant go back to Bethel and Jacob knew it. He knew from the beginning 20 years before. Remember the promise, right? When he was running from Esau and running to Laban, he saw the latter. And in Genesis 28, 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I, will, that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that thou shalt give me I will surely give the tenth unto me. God, if you will take care of me on my journey, I will come back here and I will tithe to you of all that you provide for me. Do you see that? Jacob knew he was supposed to come back to Bethel and God says go back. Remember, I'm the God of Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And so what is he, what's he doing up in Shechem, right? What's he doing up there in the area of Sukkoth? Well, he's, he's stopping short of full obedience to God's word when God told him to return to the land of his fathers and to thy kindred and I will be with thee, verse three of Genesis 31. But Israel, you know, sometimes he still acts like Jacob. And in falling short, 20 miles short of obedience, right? 20 miles short of obedience, he puts his entire family at risk and he pays dearly for this failure to come through. In the next chapter, his daughter is raped and God has to remind him after this disaster in Genesis 35 and verse one, 
After the disaster, God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. Man, boy, do what I told you to do, right? Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. But brothers, sisters, that is the key. When your world comes apart, maybe, maybe you did, I mean, you did exactly what Jacob did. You knew what God told you to do, and you kind of one bunded. You got close, but you didn't follow through, and you see how things came apart in your life. What do you do? Well, stop sowing to the flesh, start sowing to the spirit. When your world comes apart, get back to the house of God, get back to dwelling with him. Stop one bunning it, be all in on who God is and what God has said over your life. You say, yeah, it's been really bad. Everything that I do, every, all of my endeavors just keep coming to catastrophe or, or nothing or disaster. What do I do? Well, run back to God. Get back to the place of blessing. Get back to the house of God. Get back to the place where you're not walking in the flesh, you're walking in the spirit, where you're not going away that's right in your own eyes. In all your ways now, you're acknowledging him and you know he's directing your paths. Get back to the place where you stop sowing to the flesh and you start sowing to the spirit so that you quit reaping corruption and death in your endeavors and you start reaping you know, spiritual fruits that will fall out to God's glory at the judgment seat. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name and Lord, I wanna lift up my brothers and sisters. Lord, there are people in this room this morning that are grieving you, they're grieving the Holy Spirit because they're ruptured in their relationships. I would dare say, there's just knowing how people are, there are probably people in this room setting where they're setting so that they can be as far away as possible from someone else in this room. And that's jacked up, it's so messed up and it's grieving your spirit. And there's, there's so much uh, in terms of, of, of your blessing, uh, your anointing on our ministry that's hindered because we're not protecting unity. We're not seeking reconciliation. And so God, I pray uh, that God, you would break our hearts for one another, that we, you'd break our hearts for your broken heart, that you'd bring us to a place where we'll say we're done throwing one another away. And Lord, I'm not thinking of it, you, you know. Um, God, I'm not thinking of anyone or any particular case. Lord, I'm just thinking about people. Uh, we don't get our way and we get offended. We don't get what we want. And we get disappointed and we end up bitter. And Satan, we fall for his devices and he's able to drive wedges between us and, and God, as a father, your heart is grieved over our rebellion. God, let it be done today. There are people that need to fall on the neck of another brother or sister and just weep and be reconciled. Lord, there are brothers and sisters that have stopped short of full obedience to your word and they need to return. They need to go back to your house. They need to go back to the place of your dwelling and you will be with them according to the promise of Genesis 31.3. Lord, I pray for your grace that some will arise and go. Some need to just do that by coming forward and, and getting on their knees and, and just receiving prayer. Lord, you're worth being right with. And God, I'm grateful. You're so gracious to allow us to see uh, where we're following after sin and not the Savior. You're so good to, to, to allow us to, 
to see that, that sowing to the flesh, Lord, we see the fruit of it and we see the consequences of it and, and then you always, you're always willing to receive us. You're always willing to, 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 to have us come back to the place where we're walking in the spirit and in fellowship with you. God, thank you that you don't hold grudges. <laughs> thank you that, that, that we can't disappoint you so many times that you give up on us. Lord, thank you that you've made us part of your family, that you've made us part of your life. We're so grateful, and we give you praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.